Hey, I heard somebody say it. Amen. Amen. Worship team, thank you so much for leading us this morning. It's a good song set. Good. Uh, uh, you guys remember those songs? Some of them from a few years back? You miss them. Well, good. You just got them. You're welcome. Hey, we want to start this morning slightly different. I need three brave volunteers who think they can spell. I mean, uh, who know they can spell. Caleb, come on. You're one of them. Okay, good. If Caleb can do it, anybody can do it. I need two more. Two more. David, you are a linguist. Come on. Okay, let's hope he can. One more. One more. We got some teachers in here, former teachers. And none of those teachers are making eye contact right now. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. I need one more. One more. I'll give you a sucker. Come on now. Heidi, you're standing. Come on. Good. You weren't listening. She doesn't know what we're doing. Good. Uh, Heidi, introduce yourself. Just say, hi, I'm Heidi. Hi, I'm Heidi. Very good. Thank you. Go ahead and pass it to Caleb. Hi, I'm Caleb. Very good. Hi, I'm David. Hi, David. Very good. You know what? David's a linguist, so we're going to make sure he gets a win today. Spelling words, okay? All names from Scripture. David, please be so kind as to spell Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for not asking us to use it in a sentence. (laughs) Caleb. Oh, wow. Uh, Caleb, spell Abraham. Start with start with A. A. No, what's the next letter in the alphabet? B. B. R. 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 A. A. Now, how do you spell ham? H U A M. Ham. H A M. H A M. Sometimes Caleb is a ham. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for anybody listening online. Caleb is 10 years old. Well done. Okay? We spelled Jesus. We've spelled Abraham. Heidi, spell Melchizedek. M-E-L-C-H-I-E-L. I I lost track. Uh, Okay. M-E-C-H-E-L-I-E-L. Dak. D-A-K. <laughs> Let's give Heidi a round of applause. For those who are... Hey, thank you. How do you spell it? M-E-L-C-H-I-Z-E-D-E-K. You were very close. Thank you. Hey, for your participation, I've got a sucker for you. I've got a sucker for you. I've got two suckers for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, there is a special place in my heart for the man Melchizedek, and I'll tell you why in just a second. I want to start, though, praying for our time in Scripture. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for this gathering this morning. Thank you for this group of of believers who are seeking after you. 
Uh, I pray, Father, that as we open your scripture, uh, we would learn more about who you are, your heartbeat for us, and how we can be changed and transformed through that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those who know my story, um, well, there may be some of you in here who don't. I ran from the faith of my parents when I was a freshman in high school through my senior year and then went to college based on two things. One, which would offer me the biggest football scholarship, and two, where would I be farthest away from the faith of my parents? Okay? So I ended up at Carroll College, a good Catholic school. Um, and I remember very specifically, one morning I was sitting uh, in, the, in the cafeteria eating breakfast by myself, had a waffle, I was in my happy place at a table, there wasn't hardly anybody else in the cafeteria, and I looked up and this girl, never seen her before in my life, comes marching straight towards me, I hear you're a Christian, why don't you come to our campus ministry? That took me off guard, but I realized that the night before I had challenged God, I had said, hey, if you're real, prove it. Let's see what you got. Well, within an hour, he had another something kind of like that. And I decided, you know, God may be answering. Maybe I should go to this campus ministry. It was called Solid Rock. And I went. Um, didn't know anybody there. Was totally out of my element, but showed up. And the, the normal campus ministry speaker, the, the guy who oversaw the ministry, was not speaking that night. It was a senior student, a senior leader. And that night, he taught on Melchizedek. You know how much I remember of that message? Absolutely nothing. I remember he taught on that, and, I, and, and the, later on, the, the campus ministry director and I, we became good friends. He actually ended up as the best man in my wedding. We still communicate back and forth to this day. He told me about two years ago, he said, James, uh, man, that was moving in on about 20 years ago. He said, I remember that night you first came to Solid Rock. He said, and, and that speaker, I don't remember his name, he taught on Melchizedek, and the entire night, I sat there thinking, this kid is never going to come back. <laughs> this kid is never going to come back. Interesting that I did, and uh, so there's a special place in my heart for this guy, Melchizedek. Now, we've been spending some time in the book of Hebrews. As I've told you before, this is a, uh, a book written by a scholar to scholars. Now, several times in the book, he references Psalm 110. And he's doing that to, to, prove, uh, to prove who Jesus is. It's one of those prophetic passages. And uh, it, it begins like this. Okay, I'll read it to you. Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments. And your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Like I said, the author of Hebrews uses this psalm numerous times to refer back to the, the messianic overtones of Jesus. That's easy enough in, in Psalm 110 verse 1 to see how that is. Like Jesus himself uses that verse to kind of stump the Pharisees at the end of Matthew 22, just to kind of prove who he is. But then you get verses 2, you get verse 3, and then you get verse 4, and you get this random guy named Melchizedek. Who was he? What was his story? Why would he be so important that the author of Hebrews would decide to put an entire chapter in his letter? When you read the Genesis account of Melchizedek, you realize that there really isn't much 
said about him. You can just listen. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. It says, After Abram returned from his victory over Kedor Laomir and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, there he is, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had discovered. And we don't hear from this guy, Melchizedek, again until Psalm 110, verse 4. So from out of nowhere, Melchizedek appears. And just as mysteriously, he then disappears. Four short verses stuck in the story of Abraham going and rescuing his nephew, Lot. Out of those four verses, how did the author get all the material he had to write an entire chapter, chapter 7 on Melchizedek? My guess is that as a scholar, he was doing this, uh, you know, writing this letter, kept referring back to Psalm 110, and he came across this name, and he thought to himself, huh, I had to do a little research on this guy. And he went back, and he found the story in in Genesis, and he realized, wow, there's only four verses on him. Where, Where else can I look? And more than likely, he looked in some outside sources, some extra biblical sources. Maybe, maybe he looked at, uh, well, maybe he looked at the account found in 2 Enoch, chapter 71 and 72, a little extra biblical account. There was also some talk of Melchizedek in the Qumran. It's different than the Koran, it's the Qumran, okay? A good several chapters on Melchizedek there. Maybe he looked there. Bottom line, since we don't know where or when Hebrews was written, we don't know what sources he used. We do know this. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 110, Genesis chapter 14, and Hebrews are the only places in Scripture where, where Melchizedek is mentioned. And three times prior to chapter 7 that we'll spend time in a day, the author drops this guy's name. Chapter 5, verse 6, he says, In another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Sounds like Psalm 110. Now, verse 10, same chapter. And God designated Jesus, him, to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Go to chapter 6, verse 20. It says, Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Perhaps having done a little research, having dropped this guy's name a few times prior to chapter 7, the author of Hebrews decided, you know what, it's, it's time to elaborate. It's time to expound. It's time to pontificate a bit on this guy. So I think he wrote this little mini lesson, this chapter on Melchizedek. And I want to read the entire chapter to you. I want to allow the Word of God to speak this morning. So this is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 28. You can follow along or just listen. Chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice, and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. 
Verse 4. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And, Abraham, or, and Melchizedek blessed, placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. <coughs> Excuse me. The priests who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. Verse 11. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with the priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of in the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. Verse 15. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who was like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed, pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Verse 23. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those whom come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other priests, those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. There is a lot in there. Yes? A lot of details. I might have to have Heidi open this. A lot of details, a lot of specifics. It's, it's kind of like reading a... Uh, a technical manual, yeah? I could probably take 
the details in chapter 7 and go 34 different directions, maybe 84 different directions with a sermon. And in all honesty, any of those 84 directions could have been the direction that the young man my freshman year in college went with his message. But remember, I don't remember where he went. You know, Dwight Spots, remember Pastor Dwight Spots? Yes. He used to come into my office and say, do you, do you have a minute? And I'd look and I'd make sure the rest of my afternoon was clear. And I'd, I'd say, yeah. And, and, and he would talk out his messages to me. And, and he'd kind of reflect back and forth and, and it really made sense to him. So I'm going to do that with you a little bit this morning. I'm, I'm going to try and, and say, what if maybe the guy went this direction? Okay, so maybe, and, and maybe that'll spark my memory, okay? Maybe that senior that night at Solid Rock Campus Ministry, maybe he talked about the names that surrounded this guy, Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 1, this says that he was a, uh, a priest in the town of Salem. Okay, for those that know uh, geography, Salem was later called Jerusalem. Jesus, he, he did a few things in Jerusalem, Yes? Had a couple big life events there. Okay, one or two. Verse 2 calls Melchizedek a, uh, it says his name means king of justice and king of peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Now out of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, a prophetic passage about the coming Messiah, what was Jesus called? Remember, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. So the names surrounding Melchizedek. Salem, Justice, Peace. Maybe that's where the guy went. Or maybe, maybe that first lesson at Solid Rock Campus Ministry had to do with the sacramental components of Genesis 14. 14 verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. At the Passover meal, the last supper that Jesus ate with his disciples before he was arrested, condemned, crucified, he he handed his disciples a piece of something. He broke it and said, take this, eat it, remember me, it represents my body. What was that? Bread. Thank you. I'm glad somebody remembered that, okay? He also then took a cup of something else, said this too, remember, it's the sign of a new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. What, What was that? Why? And when Melchizedek went out to meet Abram after his great victories, what did he bring? Bread and wine. Huh. Maybe that guy could have spoke about that. Both of those, though, are kind of simple. And I think I may have remembered if he had spoke about that. So maybe that senior speaker that night spoke on something a little bit more technical. Chapter 7, verse 11 So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? Jump to verse 15. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who was like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Now here's some technicality. For someone to be a priest in the Old Testament, the high priest especially, they had to prove 
And I mean prove that they were descendants of Aaron, the first high priest. They had to prove that they were from the tribe of Levi. If they didn't, if they couldn't, they would not have been allowed to serve in those roles. This happened in Ezra chapter 2. There was a group of people that were returning from the exile, a group that Scripture says was a family of priests. But, Ezra chapter 2, verse 62, they searched for their names in the genealogical records, but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. Same story is told in Nehemiah chapter 7. There was a necessity, a mustness, for the service in the priestly role to have a correct ancestry, to be from the correct tribe. But Jesus wasn't from this tribe. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. For the, for the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. So a new order. The order of Melchizedek and and how Jesus fit into this. Maybe that was what that guy spoke of. But I kind of doubt it because there's a lot of talk of tribes and I grew up on an Indian reservation and you would have thought that I would have remembered him speaking about tribes. So maybe it wasn't that. Maybe, maybe, Maybe the speaker spoke on tithing. Or maybe he somehow compared how great Melchizedek was to the Levitical priest and used tithing as an example. Verses 4 through 7. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests, who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham and the one who had already received the the promises from God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. So maybe that, that guy talked about how great Melchizedek was compared to the Levite priests or how much greater he was than than Abraham. Or maybe he, he spoke on how great Jesus was. Verse 26 and 27. Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of other people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. Holy. Blameless, unstained by sin, sacrificing himself, that could have been it. So five different directions that could have been it. Do you remember how much I remembered of that first message? Come on. Zero. Okay. Now, if I had pontificated a while on any of these five that I've just kind of breezed over right now, in about 20 years from now, would you remember them? How about a year from now? about a month from now? Maybe in a week. Maybe. Especially Heidi because she had to spell Melchizedek. Okay? Here's the deal. This morning, I don't want you guys to remember as much as I remember of that sermon on Melchizedek. I want you to remember something more. 
So instead of sharing some sort of technical sermon, I just want to share with you what hit me personally this past week as I spent time in chapter 7. What struck me most as I spent time in this text this week is the foreverness of Jesus' priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. The foreverness, that's what was referenced in Psalm 110, verse 4. That's the idea that the author of Hebrews keeps coming back to. He says, Jesus, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Forever. That word or that idea was in chapter 5, verse 6, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 20, chapter 3, verse, or chapter 7, verse 3, 8, 17, 21, 28. Listen to the emphasis in verses 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. A high priest forever. You guys remember the role of high priest? We, we talked about it last week. It was to represent God to man, man to God. It was to bridge the gap between the Almighty and humanity. It was to offer the sin offering to make atonement. It was to bring us into the presence of the Father. This would be a huge task for anybody to serve in for a short term, like those Old Testament priests did. They served there until they they died. But our text says Jesus did that not for a short term, but forever. And the end of verse 25 says he lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. So as a freshman in college, as I was running from the faith of my parents, Jesus was interceding for me. He came and he slapped his hand on that table and and he said, stop living for yourself, come back to me. Interceding. And in the years since then, as there's been good seasons where perhaps I've gotten up early and watched the sunrise and said, God, what's in store for, for me through you today? Jesus has been interceding. And in the tougher seasons where life has just been so busy that, that I don't even make time to spend time in God's presence, Jesus is interceding for me. And in the times when I'm grumpy with my kids or when I'm a bad dad or, or, or a poor son or, or a, a bad brother, or when I'm, when I'm impatient with my wife, Jesus is interceding with me. And my guess is, my certainty is, that for as many days as I have left on this earth, there is going to be a necessity for Jesus to continue to intercede for me. And I am so thankful that in our text, it says he is a priest forever, interceding for me. Interceding for you. And as he does that, you know what takes place? We can draw near to God. Second half of verse 19 says, But now we have a confidence and a better hope. And I would say this better hope is the foreverness of Jesus' priesthood. But for now we have a confidence and a better hope through which we draw near to God. I'm able to draw near to God. We are able to draw near to God now and into forever because Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In the days 
the months, the years to come from now. I hope you come and revisit Hebrews. We're not done with it, but I hope you come back and revisit it. And I hope that when you get to chapter 7, you don't get hung up on all the technicalities that are in there. It's a beautiful chapter. There's some richness in it. Study it. Do that. There's greatness. But I hope that instead of getting hung up on technicalities, on, on a man's name who we can't even spell, that you focus in on the fact that it says he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. On those first three words, a priest forever. My prayer is that Jesus will come and he'll slap his hand down on your table and say, it's time to come back. I'm interceding for you. My prayer is that you will realize the role of the high priest again and again and again of how he can usher you into the presence of the Father, of, of how he has the Father's ear and he's saying, hey, I'm bringing this person to you. Listen to them. I know who they are. They're, they're with me. I'm interceding for them. And I pray that out of that, God draws you near to himself. You may not ever get the word Melchizedek in a spelling bee. If you do, I, I hope you get it right. She was close. Perhaps so. And my prayer is this, that when you hear of Jesus as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, you will remember that that is forever and for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for that girl who I don't even remember her name, who came and slapped her hand on that table in the cafeteria at Carroll College and, and, and invited me to that campus ministry. God, I thank you for the people in that ministry who poured their life into me and how that year changed and transformed my life. I thank you for, for Grant and the friendship I still have with him as, as he was the leader of that ministry. God, I thank you for this story of Melchizedek. I thank you for the mysteriousness of him. I thank you for the way in which the author uh, elaborated uh, on him. And I thank you for just the reminder to me this past week and to us this morning that you are playing the role of priest forever for us. I thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter where we are at in our spiritual journey, you are bringing us before the Father. And I pray we would take comfort in that. I pray we would draw near to him through that. And out of response and promise from Scripture that the Father would in turn draw near back to us. God, help us to remember Christ's role as high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And may that change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth. And I will daily lift my hands. For I will always sing of when your love came down. I could.
should sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth. And I will daily lift my hands for I will always sing when your love came down. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love. 